0: A fellow named Dr. Lawson Murray did a lot of the heavy lifting on the first part of this message, and I appreciate so much of what he has done. He set his sights on studying parenting in Scripture, and he wanted to look up every passage that spoke to the subject. And here's what he found. There are roughly 1,900 1, verses in the Bible that speak of mothers, fathers, or parents in one form or another. 1,900. That's quite a bit. That is quite a bit. And he studied all of them. And at the end of all that study, he boiled his work down to this statement. Take a look. It would be great if the Bible contained a parenting script, but it doesn't. Out of 1,900 passages... Throughout the course of the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation, there is not a menu that you can just hit that tells you how to raise children. There's not an index that will say, do this and then this and then this and then this, and you will be successful. That doesn't exist in the Bible. So after seeing that amount of study that went into this subject boiled down to a statement like this, it could be a bit discouraging if we allowed it to be. But thankfully, Dr. Murray didn't stop with this idea. He goes on to say, while there's no comprehensive passage on parenting, here are 16 key texts concerning the roles, realities, and responsibilities of parents. 16 things that rise to the top in his study, and they are really good. Now, I would add to that that you are about to see, out of these 16 things, passages of Scripture that will speak to the roles, realities, and responsibilities of grandparents as well. And along those same lines, even extended family as we have influence in the lives of young people around us. So you can find yourself in these 16 verses if you're willing to look for it. So pay close attention. I'm going to walk you through all 16 of the passages that he would say help us discover these roles, realities, and responsibilities of biblical parenting. Take a look. It's recognizing children are a gift and blessing from God. Psalm chapter 127, verse 3 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring, a reward from Him. Number two, it's helping children love and live for Jesus. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 sums it up this way Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Number three, It's diligently teaching the scriptures to your children. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Number four. It's telling your children about the remarkable things God has done. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. His power and the wonders He has done. Psalm 78, verse 4. Number five. It's inviting children to turn to Jesus, confess their sins, receive the Holy Spirit, and be baptized. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. That's Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. Number six, it's pointing children in the right direction. Proverbs 22:6. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Number seven, it's living in a way that makes your children look up to you. Children's children are a crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. See how it touches grandparents as well. Number eight, it's modeling how to live according to a biblical worldview. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. Titus chapter 2, verse 7. Number 9, it's taking care of your children's needs. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's Paul in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 5, verse 8. Number 10, it's correcting and disciplining children as a mark of your love. Discipline your children, and they'll give you peace. They will bring you the delights you desire. Proverbs 29, verse 17. Take a look at number 11. It's not irritating, aggravating, disheartening, or provoking children to anger. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they'll become discouraged. Colossians 3, verse 21. Number 12. It's maintaining harmony and stability in the home. Whoever brings ruin on their family will inherit only wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise. Proverbs 11, verse 29. Number 13. It's prudent financial planning for your children. Children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. Second Corinthians 12 verse 14. Number 14. It's showing your children you respect your own parents, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you. Deuteronomy chapter five, verse 16. Number 15. It's aiming to see your children become mature Christians. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. 3 John chapter 1, verse 4. Now, here's the, the interesting thing about that. Remember, Dr. Murray's the one who did this. 3 John only has one chapter. So it's really 3 John 4. So we'll just leave that alone. And here's number 16. I really like this one a lot, and I like how he used this to tie together all of this practical teaching that comes right from the Word of God, yet he applies a conversational approach to it to help us see the depth of what the Bible teaches, but then he ties it together with this. It's like a night bow right on the end of all this teaching. Take a look. It's about paying attention to your own walk with the Lord. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 9. Simply put, that means pay close attention to what God has done in your life and tell your kids about it. Tell your grandchildren about what God has done. And all of those come together to build a foundation for biblical parenting. But I want to say that in the midst of this little series that we're in, like I told you, it it took kind of a strange turn as I was putting it together. One of the things that just rose to the top is that these subjects we're talking about, marriage, parenting, and next week we'll be talking about aging, sometimes there's hard seasons in that. Sometimes there are difficulties that we face. And that is true with parenting. Oh, there's a lot of joy in parenting, but sometimes there's some hard things that we have to do, hard things that have to be addressed, hard choices and decisions that have to be made for the good of our children, that they will grow in the things of God. And most of all of this teaching is based on a a little thing that found me on Facebook, a quote from an unknown author. Here it is again. Marriage is hard. Divorce is hard. Choose your hard. Obesity is hard. Being fit is hard. Choose your hard. Being in debt is hard. Being financially disciplined is hard. Choose your hard. Communication is hard. Not communicating is hard. Choose your hard. Life will never be easy. It will always be hard. But we can choose our hard. Pick wisely. Really like the way that's written. I would add to it that parenting according to Scripture can be hard. Not parenting and grandparenting according to Scripture can be hard. Choose your hard. You have to make the choice which path you want to follow. Well, this morning, we are going to take two of the passages of Scripture that Dr. Murray put out. We're going to lift them out and then we're going to dive deeper into them so that we can see what God has to say about these things. Starting with a passage that is arguably the most popular when it comes to the subject of biblical parenting. Join me in the book of Proverbs, chapter 22, verse 6. Proverbs 22, verse 6. I'll give you just a second to turn there. If you're struggling to find the book of Proverbs, it's right in the center of your Bible. If you go to Psalms, turn to the right you're in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, wrote these words. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I say that Solomon was the wisest man to ever live. You also have to understand about Solomon that he was prolific at marriage. Prolific. He had a thousand wives, and he was prolific at reproduction, having children. He had many. So when he writes, train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Solomon knew what he was speaking of. But more than personal knowledge, he is writing from a supernatural wisdom given to him by God. So when he puts those words down, there is great meaning in them. But they are often misunderstood words, as is a lot of the book of Proverbs. Now, here's what I mean by that. When we read this, train up up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. A lot of people believe that that is a promise. What you have to know is that the book of Proverbs as a whole, not all of it, but as a whole, is written with premises in mind, not promises. There are premises not promises. And there is a big difference between those. Because you see, all the way through the book of Proverbs, just like this one verse, God still allows free will in our children's lives. He does not take that away. So you can train up a child in the things of God, and they can reject those things. They can choose to walk away from those things. It is the prayer of Christian parents, godly parents, that they will not do that. But God never removes free will. So if we do not read this passage as a premise, but rather as a promise, and we see our children, our grown children, choose to leave their faith or walk apart from the Word of God, it can leave us completely discouraged, believing that either God was wrong or we failed, one or the other. Well, God is never wrong. And we can look at it and recognize that there wasn't a failure on our behalf as parents. It's just that free will was still involved, and God didn't take that away from our kids. But when we see it as a premise, there is great hope. There is great hope. And there always is, even with children that have walked away from their faith, that they will return, that as they age, they will hold on to what they were taught. So this is a foundational passage that begins with the idea of training our children. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. The very basic aspects of this is teach your children to love the Word of God. Read the Bible to them. Share the the fun biblical stories with them when they're young, and then share the depth of God's Word with them as they age. Teach them to pray. Teach them to love other people as they love God. And I would add to that, teach them to love the church. Teach them to love the bride of Christ. That's training up a child in the way they should go. Making sure that you are investing in those right things. And when you get to see the payoff of it, man, will it ever bless your heart. This past week. I sent out a letter on Friday, which I do most weeks. And in this letter, I invited people to just hit reply and tell me about some of the great things that happened in their life in the last four, five, six, seven days. And a grandmother sent this as a reply. This is really good. The highlight of my week, my daughter-in-law telling me the story of my 22-month-old granddaughter saying to her, Jesus loves me, this I know. Makes my heart happy. When you get to experience things like that as a parent or as a grandparent, man, it does. It just makes your heart happy. The things that we're pouring into our children, they're they're working. But what you have to know is that training up your children in the way they should go requires an intentionality. It requires strategy. It doesn't just happen accidentally. It's not something that will just miraculously take place. You have to be purposeful at it. You have to be intentional. You have to apply a strategy with all those things that we talked about. And a lot of that strategy simply comes down to this. You have to model it first, and then as these children that are watching everything see it, then they will follow the path, the model that you have put in front of them. That's the first part of the purposefulness, the intentionality of it. And it applies to parents and it applies to grandparents. Grandparents, you have that same influence. Make sure that you're using that in your grandchildren's lives, aunts, uncles, those of you that work in our children's ministry, in our student ministry. You apply the same intentionality in training up children. One of the ways that I have described that to people is that we have to make a choice about what we are raising our children and our grandchildren unto. What are your goals? What are your hopes for them? Then you have to pour into those hopes, those goals, your dreams for your kids. And a lot of times, it is as simple as determining the order of importance of different aspects of your life. What is most important to you? Once you determine what that is, you're going to lean into that and you're going to raise your children unto it. If God is most important, then they're going to see that and they're going to understand that. But if God and your relationship with Him is way down the list, they're going to see that as well. It becomes a matter of recognizing the order of things in your life. And it is so practical that it boils down to things like this. If we teach our children, like in our situation, we have three kids, if I were to teach my kids that their mother was the most important person in my life, then I have already compromised what I'm trying to do according to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. She's not. My kids grew up knowing that. knowing that. God is more important than Tina is in my life, and my children are aware of it. That's me saying, this is number one. My relationship with God is number one. Number two is my relationship with their mother. And then they come underneath that. That's me ordering my life in such a way that my children are aware of it. And Tina doing the exact same thing. Well, by doing that then, all the decisions that we make are determined by that. But if there are other things that are higher on our list than our relationship with God, then they're going to see that as more important and lean into it that way. So we have to decide what we are raising our children unto. You don't need me to talk you through that, but I would encourage you to figure out what your list is. Not just in theory, but in practice. What is the order of importance in your life? That's being modeled to your children. And if you're teaching them that there is something more important than God, they're going to pick it up. They're going to pick it up. They're going to smell what you're stepping in. They're going to pick up what you're putting down. They're going to butter the biscuit you put in front of. I could keep going with these metaphors, but they don't seem to be going anywhere. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying. And we have to make decisions in intentionality and strategy and purposefulness to determine those things. What role does the Lord play in your life? And once you get him to that number one spot, then train up your children accordingly. You bring them up in the things of God. You bring them up in a way that reflects your relationship with him. Now, once you understand that, it sets the stage for the second passage that I want you to see. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to read it for you out of the New International Version of the Bible, but I want you to turn, whatever translation you have, I want you to turn to Deuteronomy 6 with me. I'm going to start in verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Moses writes these words. He says, "'Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts.' impress them on your children talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road when you lie down and when you get up tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads this passage of scripture in the Jewish world is known as the Shema a few months ago I preached on the Shema so I'm not going to circle back to that for the sake of time today if you were here you remember a lot of the things or hopefully you remember a lot of the things we talked about with this passage But what you need to know is that for the Jewish people, the first part of what we just read is widely accepted as the most important prayer that they will ever offer. It is so important that it is oftentimes the last prayer before death that a Jewish person will offer. Sounds just like this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. That's the prayer part of the Shema. Moses goes on to teach that this is so important that you are, according to verse seven in the NIV, you are to impress that upon your children that's why i use the new international version i wanted you to see this word it doesn't exist in every translation of the bible not every translation uses this word but the niv does and i love the implication of it impress this on your children love the lord your god love the lord your god he is number one love the lord your god Well, the Shema says that that is so important that when you choose to impress it on your kids, you're going to talk with them about it when you're walking down the street. You're going to talk about it in the morning. You're going to talk about it at night before they go to bed. God is going to become conversational for you. That's how you impress your relationship with the Lord on your children or into your children. There is a translation of the Bible that actually takes this deeper and helps us understand what Moses was saying. It's found in Eugene Peterson's translation called The Message. Take a look at how he says this. Write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you and then get them inside your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home or walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning to when you fall into bed at night. That's what it means to impress this on your children. Get these things into you and then get them into your children and your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, extended family, those that you've been entrusted with in God's family. Impress them. Impress them on them by taking what is inside of you and making it of the utmost importance to those that you have been entrusted with. Impress your relationship on your children and on your grandchildren. You might say, man, that sounds good, preacher. It really does, but I'm not sure how we pull it off. Well, there there is a how-to part of this message that I want to bring out for you. There are a couple of easy ways. So follow me through this. The first is to recognize that you must model for your kids what you are trying to impress upon them. You must model for your grandchildren what you are trying to impress into them, what you're trying to give to them. They're always watching, so model it. If they see you doing certain things, they are going to be more inclined to do those things. So model it. If they see you living a certain way, they're going to understand that that is the right way. So model What you have inside of you, that's the first step. Now follow me to the second one. Once you are modeling it, then raise your expectation for your children and your grandchildren that they will do what they are watching you do. Expect it. Expect it. Now that seems kind of harsh, I understand that. And in the world that we live in today, a lot of times we believe that's wrong to expect our children to do the things that we want them to do. We can't force them into any mold. Well, I would tell you the Bible would teach us to raise our expectations so that we expect our kids to do what we do. And now let me make it practical for you. If they see you reading your Bible, then you can expect them to read theirs, if they see you praying, then you can expect them to pray. A lot of times, we expect our kids to read their Bibles when we never pick ours up. We expect our children to pray when they never see us praying or hear us praying. So change the order of things. What you're modeling for them, expect them to follow. And don't be ashamed of that expectation. Don't be afraid of that expectation. If your children see you giving to the Lord, and I mean financially giving to the Lord, as well as physically serving the Lord, then expect them to do the same. Expect them to follow your pattern. Years ago, when our kids were small, our oldest will turn 30 this year. When our kids were small, they saw Tina and I physically giving in church. Today, we give online, and I'm a big fan of online giving. But one of the things that makes me sad about it is not putting a check or putting our offering in a plate or in the box. As much as I'm a big fan of online giving and a lot of people in our church give online just like we do, that's still a little bit of a struggle for us. In the early days of our marriage, we never had discussions about giving because Tina and I were both raised by parents that gave, and we saw it modeled so that when we got married, there was never a discussion about it. We both just said, hey, that's a part of what we do, and we have always given to the Lord and never felt bad about it, and our kids saw us do that. Because I'm in ministry, a lot of times in the early days of our marriage, we would have to sit up on the stage during the worship service. And so I would give in the first service and people would see me when the ushers would come up, they would collect. I'd put the check in there and then they would dig it out and they'd give it back to me so I could do it again in the second service. And my kids watched that, they saw that. And that makes it easy today for us with our adult children to say, are you giving? Are you making sure that you're faithful to the Lord? And trust me when I tell you, we have those conversations with all three of our kids. Are you remembering God in your budget? Are you remembering God in the decisions that you are making? We talk with them about that because the expectation is there that they will follow what they saw. If you are living your life by faith, when your children come up against some difficult things, you can talk to them about that. You can say to them, now, are you trusting God? Are you trusting God? When you have already set the bar high when it comes time to pray, you can say, are you praying? Are you doing the things that you need to do? Are you asking God about this? Because that's your first step. Raise the bar of expectation and expect them to follow what's been modeled. So really it boils down to this. You need to be in a situation where you are saying to your children, do as I do, not as I say, do as I do do so model it and expect them to follow raise that bar of expectation there is nothing wrong with that nothing at all so i want to take those two things and just kind of leave them leave them there on the table but add something to it as we close out this message and it is it's something that i'm almost embarrassed to tell you that i had not seen until just this week as i was studying for this Oh, i've known it but i've never put it together this way And so I want to show that to you this morning, just complete level playing field. As I started studying for this and going through all of this, I found myself going, wow, how have I never really acknowledged that and applied it this way? If you'll join me in Matthew chapter 28, I'll show you what I'm talking about. Starting in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, we know that passage as what? The Great Commission. That's what's written right at the beginning of of the passage that we just read in my Bible, the Great Commission. Now, we know that Jesus gave that great commission to the disciples to go into all the world, preaching who Jesus was, teaching people to obey all that he had commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and trusting that the Lord would be with them always. That's the great commission, and the church was built on that commission. The church stands today on that commission. That is how the gospel has spread, by people picking that up understanding that the Lord said to us, go. In fact, there seems to be an urgency within this passage. Go, therefore, Jesus says, and it appears that he's saying, go right now. From this point forward, you spread the gospel. You spread the message that I just gave to you. But do you know what the very next thing is that Jesus said to the disciples? I asked the guys that I pray with on Sunday mornings that question, and and they did what most all of us would do. They turned to Mark. Chapter one, where it says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written Isaiah the prophet, and on and on and on it goes. Most of us read the Gospels just like that—Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. We read them in a linear fashion, believing that Matthew was first, Mark followed, Luke was third, and John is fourth, and so we should read them in a linear fashion. That's not the way to read the Gospels. Not at all. Each one is a standalone account, eyewitness account of Jesus and what he did on this earth. Each one shows their perspective and their account of how everything happened. The very next book that follows, therefore, the next thing that Jesus said to the disciples, is found in Acts chapter 1. Why don't you turn there with me? Acts chapter 1. You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The very next thing that Jesus said after giving the Great Commission to the disciples was, Wait! Wait! Even though it appears there's this urgency, go therefore and make disciples, the very next thing that Jesus said was, wait for the Holy Spirit. You need Him before you do anything. Before you do anything, the Holy Spirit has to lead the way. Now, let's go back to the Great Commission. If those are the marching orders given to every believer, and we know this to be true, the first and most important mission field any of us have is our family, then it would appear that we have those same marching orders. Go, therefore, into your family... And spread the gospel, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And there's biblical background for that. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. There is a background for all of that teaching. But there is also a place for us to understand what Jesus just said to the disciples. But wait, at times, for the Holy Spirit to lead. You need the Spirit to lead. And when the Holy Spirit opens the door, the door will be opened. When the Holy Spirit makes the path available, it will be available. So sometimes we have to wait on the Holy Spirit. We have to wait until God says, now move through this. I've come to understand that that is really true the older our kids get. Tina and I have three children. We have a 25-year-old, a 26-year-old, and a 29-year-old. And I say all the time now, and I've been saying this for the last 11 years, parenting adult children is not for the faint of heart. Amen. It is not for the faint of heart. I have lost more sleep over my adult children than I ever lost over a colicky baby. My wife might tell you that's because somehow, miraculously, I didn't hear the colicky baby. I don't know. but <laughs> We have great children. We have great children. But watching them make decisions and watching them choosing their own path and watching them make mistakes is hard. It is hard. And sometimes we want to intervene and we have to remember God saying, wait, you wait. And you ask the Holy Spirit to pave the way and open the door. You don't do it on your own. The truth of the matter is, the Holy Spirit is the key element of every godly conversation we will have. So sometimes we wait. We wait. But man, when God says now, you go. You go. And when God gives the words, you don't hold back. You pass them on because they're coming from God. So you give the words. And you pray that the Spirit leads the way. And when it comes to choosing hard and parenting, sometimes the hardest part is that waiting on the Spirit. But you wait. You wait. And you let God lead. And watch what he will do. And in the meantime, you pray for all your worth. And you don't stop. You pray for all your worth. And you don't stop. And then when God says go, you go. That's choosing your heart. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to pray together. Father in heaven, boy, you model parenting for us so beautifully. So beautifully. I'm thankful for the grace that you show us and the mercy that you give us, reminding us to do the same. Grateful for the patience that you pour out on our behalf, teaching us to do the same. And Father, I'm thankful that as children we can, we can see you as our Heavenly Father and we can trust you. Father, it's, it's sometimes in that trusting and that waiting that, that we find the hardest challenges. So I'm grateful that the Bible tells us that you never leave us nor forsake us, and you're right there with us even in the times of challenge. This morning, I want to pray specifically for those that are in that type of a season, a season of challenge. I pray that they will find you as they seek you with all their hearts and I pray that they will rest in your peace. And I'm asking that specifically for parents today and grandparents. And I'm asking it in Jesus' name. Amen.